My name is Herb Montgomery, and I'm the director of Renewed Heart Ministries. We are a not-for-profit group that is passionate about rediscovering, following, and helping others rediscover the teachings and sayings of the historical Jesus of Nazareth. We believe that these teachings have an intrinsic value in informing the work of nonviolently confronting, liberating, and transforming our world into a safe, more just, more compassionate home for us all. If you would like to support the work of Renewed Heart Ministries, I'll tell you how you can do so at the end of this podcast. For now, we simply want to thank you for listening. This is Herb Montgomery from Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 181 of our Jesus for Everyone podcast. Our title this week is Response to a Town's Rejection. Our feature text is Sang's Gospel Q 10, 10 through 12, but into whatever town you enter and they do not take you in, on going out from that town, shake off the dust from your feet. I tell you, for Sodom, it shall be more bearable on that day than for that town. Our uh, companion texts this week are Matthew 10, 14 through 15. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that uh, home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on that day, on the day of judgment than for that town. Uh, Luke 10, 10 through 11. Uh, but when you enter a town and you are not welcomed, go into the streets and, and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Our saying this week has a long history of anti-Semitism. Christians have used the phrase shaking the dust from one's feet as a symbol of Jews rejecting Gentiles. But it's simplistic to say that Jews shook the dust off their feet when leaving Gentile territories as a rejection of Gentiles, and it's anti-Semitic to use it to justify rejecting Jews for their rejection of, quote-unquote, Jesus as their Messiah. Uh, What's a better way to understand this ancient practice? Shaking the dust from one's feet, if this was a practice of the first century Jewish people, it would have most likely been a practice of those who followed the Pharisaical school of Shammai. The school of Shammai wanted to maintain the distinction between Jews and Gentiles in an effort to preserve Jewish identity and Jewish culture within Hellenism that was threatening their culture. And I don't believe that tribal distinctions are the healthiest way to preserve identity, nor do I subscribe to Shammai's teachings on this. But I can't fault the people of that era either. I I get it. This was a a way for a, a people who who were still recovering from their exile and the, their dispersion throughout the region, this was a way for them to to, to, to try and, and maybe desperately try to hold on to their identity. In the Pharisaical school of Hillel, which many of Jesus' teachings are, are more in harmony with, they didn't follow the strict distinction between Jew and Gentile. Instead, Hillel taught that every person, Jew or Gentile, was created in the image of God and worthy of 
respect and and treatment, uh, treatment that was in harmony with the golden rule. And we covered this in much more detail earlier this year in the the podcast entitled The Golden Rule. And I'll put a link to the e-site to that in this week's e-site. But uh, ultimately, the Jewish people, they abandoned the school of Shammai in favor of Hillel's more inclusive practices. Karen Armstrong writes about uh, the people's choice in the wake of the destruction of Jerusalem in her book, uh, The Great Transformation, The Beginning of Our Religious Traditions. And this is from the Kindle edition. It happened that uh, Rabbi Johanan ben Zakkai went out from Jerusalem and Rabbi Joshua followed him and saw the burnt ruins of the temple and said, Woe is it that the place where the sins of Israel find atonement is laid waste. Then said Rabbi Johanan, Grieve not, we have an atonement equal to the temple, the doing of loving deeds. As it is said, I desire love and not sacrifice. Kindness was the key to the future. Jews must turn away from the violence and divisiveness of the war years and create a united community with one body and one soul. When the community was integrated in love and mutual respect, God was with them. But when they quarreled with one another, he, and this is uh, her quote, returned to heaven where the angels chanted with one voice and one melody. When two or three Jews sat and studied harmoniously together, the divine presence sat in their midst. Rabbi Akiba, who was killed by the Romans in 132 CE, taught that the commandment, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, was the great principle of the Torah, to show disrespect to any human being who had been created in God's image, was seen by the rabbis as a denial of God himself, and tantamount to atheism. Murder was a sacrilege. Scripture and Instructs us that whatsoever, whosoever sheds human blood, is regarded as if he had diminished the divine image. God had created only one man at the beginning of time to teach us that destroying only one human life was equivalent to annihilating the entire world, while to save a life redeemed the whole whole of humanity. To humiliate anyone, even a slave or a non-Jew, was equivalent to murder, a sacrilege defacing of God's image. To spread a scandalous lying story about another person was to deny the existence of God. Religion was inseparable from the practice of habitual respect to all other human beings. You could not worship God unless you practiced the golden rule and honored your fellow humans, whomever they were. So the, uh, the Jews did, after the destruction of Jerusalem, um, embraced Hillel's more inclusive interpretation of Torah. And and Luke, which is the most Gentile of the Synoptic Gospels, he colors Jesus' instructions with the phrase, as a warning. By rejecting the values and the teachings that Jesus and Hillel uh, sought to promote in Judaism, those in the school of Shammai who, who practiced shaking Gentile dust off their feet, they were headed toward the same fate that they claimed the Gentiles were headed toward. In their ethic of of separation or alienation and independence, they were actually aligning themselves more with the path of destruction than the Gentiles they wanted to be separate from. And remember, Jesus's community practiced interdependence and mutualism and and resource sharing. We've covered this over the last couple weeks. The, the, The Jewish followers of Shammai, they rejected the path of interdependence for independence. And 
and, and, and isolationism and exceptionalism. And so they shared with the violent revolutionists a, a path that would ultimately lead to a devastating backlash from the Romans. Jesus' saying of shaking the dust off one's feet, I don't believe can be an indication of rejection of, of the Jews because Jesus himself was a Jew. Jesus, remember, was not a Christian. Yet a, a, a Jewish Jesus would have felt burdened to communicate to his own community that there was no moral difference between those who rejected his values and those that they claimed moral superiority to. Jesus makes this statement in Matthew's gospel. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you not are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even Gentiles do that. That's Matthew 5, 46 to 47. So shaking the dust off one's feet was not an act of rejection, but an act of warning. It was a warning to those who, who those that one genuinely cared about, those that you were invested in and, 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 and you saw as one's own people. It was a sign of deep concern with the, the direction of one's own, that, that one's own community was headed in. Let's talk about the mention of Sodom for a moment and, and how Sodom's story in the Hebrew text is not finished yet. Um, and we'll close with this. Within the first century, a Jewish belief that Sodom's story was not finished was very prevalent. Uh, Sodom still had a future, and I believe this is important. First, let's be clear on what we're talking about when we talk about Sodom. The atrocity of Sodom, according to the Hebrew scriptures, is found in Ezekiel 16, 49-50. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. So, Sodom had become so wealthy and isolationist that any immigrants to Sodom were rejected. Even if fleeing there for safety, um, they were subjected to, to physical violence and, and even sexual violence. The, the threat of sexual violence that we read about in Genesis 19, that the rape of men and women uh, was a, a common war practice in, ancient, in the ancient world. And it was used to emasculate, dehumanize, and humiliate one's enemies. And a, a side note that's, that's worth mentioning is that it's it's part of the implicit misogyny of the original culture and the contemporary Christian culture that the threatened rape of Lot's daughters of human women is almost always glossed over in favor of the horror uh, about the threat of rape against male angels and, and the different flesh of, of Jude. And as inhospitable and greedy as Sodom was, however, Ezekiel uses Sodom's narrative as an indictment against his own people. In Ezekiel 16, um, just the verse previous to what we just read, Ezekiel states, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, your sister Sodom and her daughters never did what you and your daughters have done. So he's saying that they were even worse than what had quintessentially become uh, the Sodom. Sodom or, or the narrative of Sodom. But then Ezekiel throws in a, a twist with the Sodom narrative. He envisions a river of life um, that one day flows out from Jerusalem. And that's this is found in Ezekiel 47, 1 and 2. And, and what this river of life does for Sodom is restorative. It's not destructive. This is a, a Ezekiel 47, 8 through 12. 
He said to me, The water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into Arabah, where it enters the Red Sea. In Ezekiel's time, the Red Sea was believed to be the, the, the region of ancient Sodom. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the, the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. People will fish along the shore from Engedi to Engelim. There will be places for spring. Nets, the fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea, but the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their uh, fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Ezekiel had previously said uh, as well in Ezekiel 16. However, I will restore the fortunes of Sodom and her daughters and of Samaria and her daughters and your fortunes along with them so that you may bear your disgrace and be ashamed of all you have done, giving them comfort. And your sister Sodom with her daughters and Samaria with her daughters will return to what they were before. And you and your daughters will return to what you were before. So because of how many Christians use uh, the New Testament passages of Jude 7 and 2 Peter 2, 6, where Sodom is used as an example um, today, it's important to understand that Ezekiel saw a positive ending to Sodom's narrative. Many Christians today use Sodom's narrative as an example of, of the future destruction of, of some categories of people, and, and this belief influences them to, to practice a, a hopeless exclusion of whomever they deem unlike them. But Jesus, like Ezekiel, Ezekiel uh, believed that the future of his own people could still be bright. So in this week's saying about shaking the dust off of one's feet, uh, Jesus stands in the tradition of the Hebrew prophets. He evokes the narrative of Sodom, and he compares it to his own people's future fate. And 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 just as Sodom went through a destruction but is going to be restored to what it once was, uh, Jesus shows a deep concern for the society of his day and, and the unbearable retaliation that Rome would inflict upon Jerusalem if his community continued on its current path. Jesus' nonviolence and and the resource-sharing principles would have placed uh, Jesus' people, uh, his community, on a radically different trajectory. And I believe that after the destruction of Jerusalem, the Jewish people did, uh, through the teachings of Hillel, uh, they partially transitioned to the path that Jesus showed, and, and they made great strides in love and kindness and nonviolence and radical inclusivity. Economically, Hillel's and Jesus' teachings were, were somewhat different, and I believe Jesus' economic teachings uh, were more in harmony with the Torah than Hillel's. But but Jesus' radical resource sharing and ethics of nonviolence, they're both waiting for a present or even future generation to still choose. Uh, over the last three weeks, uh, we've been looking at the interdependent elements of Jesus's mission instructions. And this week, we're beginning to to transition into the next section of Jesus's teachings. Just like uh, this week's saying, these next few sayings 
contain warnings for his own generation. And if they didn't abandon their path, if they didn't choose the path that he was presenting, something was waiting for them in the future. As we consider this week's saying, I can't help but notice that the history is cyclical. Uh, We in our society today may be being faced with with the same choices that the first generations of Christians were. So with Jesus's path of nonviolence and and resource sharing in mind, uh, let's take a moment just to contemplate this week uh, Jesus's warning into whatever town you enter and they do not take you in on going out from that town, shake the dust from your feet. I tell you, for Sodom, it shall be more bearable on that day than for that town. Heart group application this week, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine, and that's Mark Van Steinwick. If you haven't read his books, they are well worth it, and I, I recommend them highly. Uh, this last week, Mark posted this statement on social media. He said, I hate coercion, says the modern man, except for perhaps the many coercions of the past that have made me so prosperous. It is like the parable of the man who slays an entire neighborhood and takes their treasures. Afterwards, he declares himself a pacifist. When the relatives of those slain come to his door angrily holding bats, he says, you should be a pacifist like me. So number one, in the context of this statement, um, discuss in your heart group what it would look like for your group to, to lean more deeply into the nonviolence and the resource sharing that the sayings of Jesus or Jesus's sayings in Gospel Q uh, taught. And then number two, list three ways that you believe the teachings of Jesus call you to embrace nonviolence in today's society and also list three ways that you believe the teachings of Jesus call you to to share resources and to even participate in the reparations needed in our society today. And then number three, pick one action from each of those two lists and put it into practice between this week and next. And we cannot continue today on our current trajectory without reaching a breaking point. And as we are contemplating the changes that that we so desperately need today, the sayings of, of Jesus in, in Sayings Gospel Q and, and those whose experiences of life vary from one another, they, they, they can inform our choices to move toward a, a safer, more just, more compassionate world for us all. It's, it's much easier to simply worship Jesus uh, than it is to put into place the, the world healing teachings that he taught. But healing the world is what Jesus spent his life doing. And his story has called uh, to those who would listen ever since saying, follow me. Thanks for joining us this week. Wherever this finds you, keep living in love till the only world that remains is a world where only love reigns. I love each of you dearly. I'll see you next week. once again for listening. Everything we do here at Renewed Heart Ministries, even our our many educational events that we do in various venues, is for free. If you'd like to support our work, you can make a one-time gift or become one of our monthly contributors by going to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and clicking on the Donate tab on the top right. Or you can mail your contribution to Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24901. And make sure you also sign up for our free resources and remember 
remember, every little bit helps. And, and as always, anything that we receive over and above our annual budget, we happily give away to other not-for-profits who are, are making both systemic and personal differences and significant differences in the lives of those who are not presently benefited by the status quo. And to those of you who are already supporting the work of Renewed Heart Ministries, thank you so much. Your generous support makes it possible for us to exist and to continue being a presence for positive change in our world. So with all of our hearts, thank you. Together, we are making a difference till the only world that remains is a world where only love reigns.